And today's message uh, has some pivotal truths for our graduates um, as they look to the future. But Jesus' words speak directly to each of us, regardless of where we are in a journey, regardless of the stage of life that we find ourselves in, because each of us, each of us has a next step. So I'd also like to welcome our kids this morning, the kids that are with us, and just to let you guys know that you're listening for three fruits. Three fruits. That's what you're listening for. You hear them, write them down, stick them in the bowls in the back, and we'll have a drawing for Scoops ice cream. All right? And I may even sneak in a fourth bonus word, but you're going to have to listen hard for that one. Okay? So as we talk about next steps, there's one step that can be argued is the most important step. It's not what you think. It's not necessarily the first step. It's not the last step. It's the next one you're going to take. So whether you're a high school graduate or college graduate or you're about to be an empty nester or you're trying to figure out how your nest got so full uh, or maybe COVID threw a curveball and just another curveball at you um, or you're waking up to your role in racial reconciliation, you're navigating relationships, jobs, whatever it is, Regardless of who you are, you have a next step, and it's the most important step because that step has the potential to determine a lifetime of steps after it. To live this life well, you've got to begin with the end in mind. So now that we know what's at stake, let me pray. God, we come to you, to your word, and I pray that uh, my words would line up with your, yours, that your words would, be, would speak loudest, would speak loud, that you would direct our steps, that we would look to you and allow you to direct our steps. Father, direct mine now, direct my words. May they always point to you and to your truth. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Begin with the end in mind. That's a pretty simple concept, right? It, it means basically you're, you're, you know what you're trying to accomplish and then plan your steps accordingly. It's the wisdom that says, it's the wisdom that says the decisions that you make today are going to affect your tomorrow. It's all connected. For, for example, if I want to lose 15 pounds, then my next step does not include movie marathons, but probably more exercise. In fact, my next steps are probably more about my next bites, right? Um, rather than eating mac and cheese and Oreos and, and Swedish fish, I love Swedish fish, um, I would choose healthier options like grilled chicken and broccoli and an apple. Yes, an apple. Why? Because I'm beginning with the end in mind, right? So if you want to graduate college with a degree instead of regrets, then your steps are going to include class, going to class, studying, uh, getting rest before exams, not sleeping through class, partying, and stay, you know, pulling the all-nighters because you waited till midnight to start that 20-page paper that's due at 8 o'clock. But taking the next step, we all know may sound simple, but it's, not, it's just not always easy. So I want to give you three Ps. Three P's that are necessary to begin with the end in mind. Okay? Here they are. I'm going to give you right out the gate. I'm going to give them to you so you can check out if you want to. Here they are. Perspective, 
a plan and a power. Before you take a next step, you know, if you're going to be wise and strategic and all of that, keeping the end in mind, then you need to follow those three Ps. Why, you need to know why you're doing something, what you're doing, and how you're going to do it, right? It's not, it's not really rocket science. So you need to have perspective, a plan, and power. But here's the catch. They cannot be yours. Your perspective will be short-sighted. Your perspective will be limited to your knowledge and your, your experience. You've heard the phrase, hindsight is twenty twenty. There's a reason for that, because your, your perspective is limited. Your plan, well, it's going to be based upon your limited, short-sighted perspective. Your desires and wants are often not actually the best thing for you. We hear, you know, follow your heart mantra today. The Bible says it's the most deceptive thing, so don't follow it, lead it. Your power. Let's talk about your power for a second. At its best, it will still be yours. It'll be limited, it'll diminish, and it's just natural. Your strength will depend upon your strength to muster up your strength. So your strength is going to give out. And regardless if you have arms like me or arms like Trent, your own strength will fail you. Your perspective, your plan, and power will not be enough to know or to take the next best step. If you rely on them, you may get to where you were wanting to go only to find out it's not where or who you want to be. We've all been there. Our plans have come crashing down at some point, to some degree. The relationship that we invested in has entered the friend zone. Or maybe it's led to heartache, disillusionment, or even divorce. You've changed your major not once, but four or five times. The job you worked so hard to get isn't what you thought it would be. Promises weren't kept, raises didn't happen, demands and drama are getting to you. Doing this the rest of your life feels more like a prison. The family you couldn't wait to have is now driving you insane. And I realize that, and we realize that all too often, we don't know what's best for us. We don't really want what's best for us. I want Swedish fish and Oreos. And even if we do, we don't have the power to get what's best for us. So how can I take the next step with confidence? How can I know what the next, what, how can I know if the next step is the right step? And how do I know what end to have in mind to know how to begin? And it leaves us asking a simple, basic question. What's next? Or where do I go from here? Or if there's desperation, it's now what? Right? Sometimes these questions we face with excitement and expectation, you know, with new beginnings, and that's great. And at other times, it can be overwhelming and just debilitating. But this is not a new problem. The disciples found themselves in a moment like this. They had big plans. They, they were even celebrating, and, but their expectations, their expectations started to unravel. And they found themselves asking, now what? It's in this moment that Jesus says a statement 
that gives them all, the, all that they need to know what to do and to take, take their next step. In fact, he has an entire conversation with them, and it's the last conversation that he has with them before he goes to the cross. Incidentally, I, I believe that the disciples, when Jesus chose them, were probably between the ages of 13 and, four, uh, 13 and 15. There's a lot of evidence that suggests that. And incidentally, what has he just done for the last three and a half years? They have gone to school with their rabbi, right? So this is Jesus' commencement speech. Okay, This is the last conversation he has with them. And they've just finished the Passover meal. In a few hours, Jesus is about to be arrested. But before we listen to what he says, let's talk about the frame of mind of the disciples for a second. What they've been through the last few days. Now remember, the 12 disciples, they had left their homes and their jobs to follow Jesus because they believed that he was the Messiah, God's chosen king over Israel. So they not only believed that, that he would be the Jewish, their nation's leader, but they also believed he would be this global leader. So following him was a no-brainer. But this last week, on Saturday, they visited Lazarus, living proof that Jesus has the power over death. But then Mary comes in and anoints Jesus with oil, and Jesus starts speaking of his upcoming death. And crowds start to gather, but then the Jewish leaders want to kill him. On the next day, Sunday, the people declare Jesus as a Messiah and, and King of Israel, and they have this parade as he enters into, enters into Jerusalem. And the disciples have to be thinking, this is it. Finally, Jesus is making a public appearance. I mean, this, he's about to go public. They are excited about what's to come. And then the next few days are filled with drama. The Jewish leaders are trying to trap, trick, and try Jesus, but Jesus continues to silence them. The disciples see Jesus curse a fig tree, and it dies. He cleanses the temple, clears a display, just a clear display of spiritual authority, and they're amazed and excited. But Jesus continues to talk about being killed. They don't know what to do with this idea. It doesn't make sense. And like most of us, when we hear something that we don't fully understand and we don't want to believe, they dismiss it. And they continue to ride, ride the wave of expectation. And now it's Thursday, Passover. They sit in an upper room, and here's what's happened. Jesus washes their feet. He tells them that there's a traitor in their midst. Then he picks up the bread and wine and starts to talk about a new covenant Incidentally, one where his body is broken and his blood is being poured out. It has been a week. And in John 14 through 16, we see this long conversation that he has with his disciples. It starts in the upper room, and then it continues as they make their way past the temple, out of the city gates, down to the Kidron Valley, and then past the Kidron Valley to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now keep in mind that through all of this, they are still hoping and wanting Jesus to take the throne. You know that moment that you know something is about to happen, but you don't really know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, good news or bad news, like your kid says, hey, mom and dad, can I talk to you? you know, can, can, can we talk? And you're like, what is this news? The disciples are at that moment, and Jesus starts talking. And he tells them that he's leaving. 
Then he tells them that he doesn't have much more time to talk because the prince of the world is coming, whatever that means. And, they have, and then he says, let's go. And they get up and they, and they head toward the Garden of Gethsemane with more fear, confusion, and uncertainty and questions than they ever had before. And that's where our text for today picks up. John 15, verse 1 through 11. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and the Father is the vine dresser. So Jesus has hours left to live, and he tells his disciples that his time is almost up. They're filled with questions. He gets up from the table and says, let's go, and heads on the journey to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he will be arrested. Now, on the way, likely he passes the temple. And on the, the temple door, there's this giant gold grapevine with giant gold grapes, bunches of grapes hanging on it, symbolizing that Israel is God's grapevine. Then as they leave, they possibly pass by some other vineyards, and Jesus says this, I am the true vine, I am the real vine, not Israel, me. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that the fruit will bear, so that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I will in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me and is thrown he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered into, and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My, by, by this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Complete, full joy. That sounds like a great end to, to take our next steps toward, right? There is so much in this passage, but I want to pull out really the heart of what Jesus is saying here. And I want to go back to verse 5, where Jesus gives us perspective, his plan, and power that we need to take every next step. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. See, Jesus is giving the disciples all the perspective they will need to move forward. He is the vine. He's reframing it. He is the vine. You are the branches. Now, this analogy is just mind-blowing to me. That so many aspects we could dive into, but simply the fact that Jesus, the, the creator of the universe, would allow himself into this symbiotic relationship where he's dependent upon me and I'm dependent upon him, that is just that's unparalleled. That type of union uh, that we're invited to is just crazy. And it's this union that gives us the perspective to know which step to take. 
See, point of origin is paramount to having the right perspective. With the wrong perspective, we make wrong decisions. We make wrong plans. So Jesus starts with who he is. He's a true vine. God is the gardener. Then he tells us who we are. I'm the vine, you're the branches. You know, my mom had things that she would say to us kids growing up. You know what I'm talking about, right? Moms say things, right? Um, like, don't talk with your mouth full, something mom says. Um, wait till your father gets home. Did you flush? Did you wash your hands? Put your coat on, you don't want to catch a cold. I'm from up north. Um, aren't you forgetting something? These are things mom says, right? My mom had a saying that she would say, she would say it so often that it, it annoyed me. It annoyed me because it was constant. And it also annoyed me because it was just one more thing. As a middle school boy, it was just one more thing my mom was telling me to do. But it didn't matter. What she would say is, remember whose you are. Didn't matter where I was going. If I was leaving out that door, remember whose you are. If I was going to school, remember whose you are. If I was going to a football game, remember whose you are. If I was going to church, remember who, really mom? I mean, I'm going to church uh, all, all the time. But as I grew older, it became this formative thought and a reminder. And you, you realize a lot of people are trying to find out who they are, but you cannot know who you are until you know whose you are. And Jesus says, the father is the gardener. I'm the vine. You're the branches. Knowing who I am starts with knowing whose I am. And that frames why I am. So that no matter where I am, I can see clearly to take the next step, that next decision. So when making a decision, remember. Remember whose you are, who you are, why you are. And then you make the decision where you are. But so often we're tempted to make decisions based upon primarily where we are. And the circumstances I look, you know, like I look at my circumstances to, to decide, to determine what I should do. And when I do that, things can go wrong in a hurry. Imagine this for a second. Imagine that I'm in the middle of a field. Green grass. It's not even real grass. Every five yards, there's a white stripe. And around this field are thousands of seats. And then these thousands of seats are thousands of fans. And right in front of me is an oblong brown object wrapped in pigskin. So, what should I do? Should I jump on it, cover it up? Should I pick it up and run? Should I hike it? Should I kick it? Now, you may be thinking, well, that depends on so many different circumstances. And you'd be right. Things like, is the ball in play? Is it fourth down? Who else is around the ball? Where am I on the field exactly? But before I act on any of those things, any of those details, I better first know who I am. What if I told you I was wearing a black and white striped shirt with a yellow flag in my pocket and a whistle and a cap? That drastically changes what I do, right? It drastically changes the types of things that I do, that I would even consider doing with that ball. So graduate, it's the first Saturday night, you're away at school. Do you set your alarm clock? 
in the morning to go to church. See, circumstances may say, ah, there's a more convenient time to go. Uh, besides no one else, you know, I don't know anyone that's going yet, and I don't even know where I would go. But who you are is telling you something different. Dad, you're tired. It was a bad day at the office. You just want to turn on the game, eat, and go to bed. But your son greets you at the door holding a ball and glove. All kinds of choices and steps we can take. Some seem insignificant, but most rarely are. Making the right choice starts with the right perspective. I am the vine. You are the branches. Your significance, your purpose, your identity, it all starts right here in this relationship. But Jesus went on. He went on to the plan. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. God's plan? To abide in him and bear fruit. You might even say, the plan is to abide, and the result is the fruit. So what's abide mean? To remain. To stay with. To dwell with. What's the fruit? We're not talking about bananas here, because that would be bananas. In past conversation, Jesus uses fruit to talk about both Discipleship, the, the discipleship process in us, which would be the fruit in us that we produce, the, the Holy Spirit-driven fruit. And also the discipleship process through us, the making of disciples. I believe he's talking about referring to both here. God's plan for you is for you to stay with Jesus, for you to live in him and he in you. It's not so much about your success in the field or what other people say, you know, think about you or oh, the places you will go. His plan for you is your life in him. His plan for you is life in him. To stay with him no matter what he asks of you. See, because he calls us to trust his ways over your wants. Let's back it up to verse 2 and 3. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it would bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Don't miss this. What is it that prunes us? What is it that cleanses us? What makes us productive? His word. His word, when we trust it, works in us to remove the things that keep us from bearing fruit. And my dad also had a saying. Still does. Not as relentless. He didn't say it as relentlessly as my mom did, but strategic nonetheless. Whenever we'd go on a trip or prom or when we'd be wrestling with a decision, he would simply say, do the right thing. How was I supposed to know what the right thing was? by remembering whose I was. Mom and dad were in cahoots. They had this one-two punch I didn't see coming. When we trust that our identity is in Christ, then we trust his plans even when we don't like it, don't understand it, or when it's the hardest step to take. 
And it usually is the hardest step to take. Why? So we will learn to trust in his third P, his power. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Junior year at Bible College, it was crisis week in one of my student ministry courses. And uh, each day, they would bring in a guest speaker to speak about some of the crises that students um, encounter and, uh, and, and how we should respond in each scenario, how we can minister to them, help them, get them the resources they needed. And all types of you know, different, different scenarios, to all types of abuse, to runaways, to drug, drug use, gangs, to suicide. And I remember each day going into class and being overwhelmed. And I remember each day going, that'll never happen. Next day, no, I'll never have to deal with that. Next day, dear God, please don't let me ever have to deal with that. Feeling completely unprepared. And, and uh, a year later, I take my first student ministry position in a, a small rural, uh, not rural, small urban um, setting in Central Florida. And the first three months, every issue that I feared, I encountered with students. Every last one in some form. And uh, God and I had some serious conversations at that point. All of which started with, God, I can't do this. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what I'm doing. You've got the wrong guy. I don't know what to do. And that's exactly where God wanted and needed me to be. You know what he said? He even wrote it down for me. God and I are like that. This is what he said. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Then he went on to say, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is for my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you know what he means by nothing? Nothing. N-O-T-H-I-N-G. Nothing. That's what he means. We can't breathe, move, think without our creator, let alone can we do anything of real consequence, any, of real significance, eternal consequence, Fruit that lasts, we can't make fruit that lasts without him. He is the vine. He is our power. Do you know what the most significant thing that a branch can do? It's not the photosynthesis thingy. It's not provide shade, although that's nice. It's to receive sap from the source. To receive nutrients from the source. The branch stays connected to a healthy tree, and we're talking about the vine being Jesus, the epitome of health. It will produce fruit. Okay, so now what? 
How do I take the next step with confidence that I'm beginning with the end in mind, with his perspective, his plan, and his power? How can I be sure that what I'm doing lines up with that? Um, I want to give you three questions, just kind of a self-filter, a self-check, that whenever you're making a decision, taking that next step, regardless of where you are and who you are, you all know who you are. These three questions. Ask them before you move forward. First one, is this who I am? Does this line up with who I am? Whether this is a decision you make in the dorm room, the boardroom, or the bedroom, or you make on a ball field, a career field, or the field of dreams, does this reflect who I am in Christ and who he's making me? Is this who I am? What voices are guiding this decision? Second one, what does God's word say? Who am I trusting? Whose desires am I pursuing? Yes, it, it, it may be a pruning process. That's why it's hard. That's why it hurts. But we usually know the right thing to do. Don't overcomplicate it by just trying to justify your own agenda or the world's agenda. Do the right thing. Thirdly, what have I asked for? What have, what have I asked God for? Now, this may seem a strange thing to ask. But if you haven't asked God for anything concerning a decision you're about to make, then you are planning to accomplish it on your own. Don't fool yourself. What I ask for and who I ask it of reveals whose power I'm relying on. So begin with the end in mind. Go to the Alpha and the Omega. I want you to imagine for me Five years from now. Ten years from now. I want you, One year, if you don't have a whole lot of imagination. If you have a lot of imagination, I want you to imagine looking back on your entire life after it's over. And imagine seeing that every step that you took, every decision you, you made, you did it remembering who you were, who you are. And you did it trusting in his plan. And you did it stepping with his power. What would that look like? How complete would your joy be? So this today, what decision do you need to make? Maybe today is the day that you decide to find your identity in Christ. And you strip all the others away and you cling to that one. Maybe it's to surrender your plans and start listening to his plans already written out for you he's that way with you too if there's a decision that you feel that, that you're ready to make I would love to talk to you about that imagine what God could do with your life if you took the next step with his end in mind because, you know, that's, that's exactly what Jesus did. When he took flesh, when he took on flesh and became one of us, and he went to the cross and died for our sins, he did so with the Father's perspective. He had the end in mind. Our union 
with God and with him. So this morning, as you came in, you passed by elements, the Lord's Supper, we're going to take that together. Hopefully you picked them up. If not, make the mad scramble back. You don't have to scramble. Take your time. So we're going to remember how Jesus surrendered to God's plan of reconciliation by going to the cross. Like this bread, his body was broken. Because of our sin, he became sin. That we might become the righteousness of God. Let's take it. Let's eat. Like the cup. He was poured out. His blood became the blood of a new agreement between God and man. Through which we now have life. Through the blood of Jesus. That we now may be connected to him. To the Father through him. God, it is overwhelming to think of your love that you invite us in, that we would have a life not built upon anything this world has to offer, not built upon our past regrets and missteps, but built on, on Christ, our life, that our life would be hidden in him because of his obedience and his love for you. We can now experience your love for us. Father, we thank you for the, for the grace and mercy that we find at the cross and the life that we now have in you. You guys can stand with us. Sing worthy. Worthy of every song we could ever sing.